Hello and welcome to Grazia Life Advice. I'm Hattie Crissell, the Acting Features Director of Grazia Magazine, and every week here I speak to women worth listening to, asking them to share six pieces of advice that they live by and the worst piece of advice they've ever received. The baker, cook, writer, presenter and national treasure that is Nadia Hussein joins us on the podcast this week. The day I spoke to Nadia in a tiny recording booth at the BBC, she was preparing for the broadcast of Nadia, Anxiety and Me, which was on TV that night. If you didn't catch it live, you can watch it now on iPlayer and I really recommend that you do, especially if you or anyone you know suffers with anxiety. In our conversation, she opened up about what filming that documentary has meant to her, her ongoing management of her panic disorder and the wisdom she's learned from her super close family life. Let me know what you think of the episode on Twitter or Instagram, as usual with the hashtag Grazia Life Advice. But for now, over to Nadia. Nadia Hussein, welcome to Grazia Life Advice. Ah, thank you for having me. Last night I watched your new documentary for the BBC, Nadia, Anxiety and Me. Um, by the time this podcast comes out, that will be on iPlayer and a lot of people will have already seen it. But as I speak to you, it's going out tonight. How are you feeling about it? I'm actually really anxious, which is not oh, great, is it? It's <laughs> um, very on brand, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, not deliberately. It's just it, it, I can't help it. It's um, it's something that's been in the making for for forever. It feels like for you know it took months to film, and it, while filming it was uh, was probably one of the most trickiest times because I'd gone from feeling quite anxious, like at my worst, about 14 years ago, um, and then kind of had to re visit feeling that bad all mm-hmm. over again so uh, the fact that I'm going to be sharing all of that with everyone it was really nice once I'd filmed it and it was done and yeah. I'd done everything and it was finished and now it's like almost D-Day like here it is everybody's going to watch it so I'm hopeful that people have watched it and they have taken something from it and uh, you know if they know anyone who has anxiety or know of anyone who might be suffering you know that they can watch it and have a better understanding of it if anything and I think that's really important so I'm nervous and I'm anxious but I know it's something that we need to do. Yeah I think it's it's a really fantastic thing to do for people actually because I think when you are I mean I've been through anxiety so many people have although yours is particularly I mean watching it I've really felt for you it looks really difficult um but I mean, for people at home to see somebody like you, who has such a fantastic career, wonderful family, and know that you're going through that as well, I think will be such a huge comfort. I mean, when I was watching it, I was wondering how on earth you coped with Great British Bake Off, because I watched that and that makes me feel stressed and panicky. And you were so, um, you seemed so together and you obviously won it and were a fantastic star of it. What was that like? Um, well, I'd be lying if I said that it didn't make me anxious. You know, yeah. I had I had several panic attacks while doing Bake Off, um, leading up to it, while I was filming it, after it. So, you know, it's I certainly like to throw myself in the deep end. That's yeah, for sure. Yeah, you do. Yeah. Um, it wasn't easy doing that, uh, but it was. Again, this is it's another characteristic of somebody with anxiety is you just become very good at hiding it. You know, you have to get on with real life. You know, life doesn't stop when you've got anxiety. You have to you struggle, but you still mm. get on with it. You know, you you don't want to smile, but you do. You don't want to get out of bed, but you do. You don't want to get dressed, but you put clothes on. So, yeah. you know, it's that, that's one of the that, that is just I think it's just another face of anxiety. So I struggled. And I mean, if you say I had it together, I don't think I look like I had it together on Bake Off. I was I was a mess a lot of the times. So I spent a lot of time crying. Um, 
and what lots of people didn't see was I spent a lot of time going back to the hotel room having panic attacks mm. and you just become better at hiding it so and I think that's why it's so important to speak because I mean I can't see the point in this platform if I'm not using it to speak and talk about things that we need to talk about because anxiety is something that we all experience in our life whether it's you know in a kind of day-to-day the kind of normal anxiety because I think everyone experiences anxiety to some extent but yeah. it's when it becomes a medical problem that it's an issue so I think we need to learn when it's a medical issue and when it need when we need to get help but we're only going to do that if we talk and yeah. that's why this documentary is so important yeah um, I think one thing that really shone through from it is how lovely your relationship is with your husband. Also, I was envisaging like potentially a kind of Richard and Judy situation for you guys <laughs> further down the line. I could see you kind of presenting something. He's lovely. Um, I don't think he is made for the world of television. <laughs> oh, really? No. Yeah. No. But was it um, was it nice to work on this with his involvement? Absolutely. It was yeah. uh, you know he's my wingman and I am his, and so we. You know, we've we've gone through this over the last fourteen years. He's he's my best friend, and I tell him everything. So, it was difficult for him because you know, there's times when he's felt guilty and thought, "Why haven't we got help before? You know, why haven't we, why haven't we done something about this?" Because you because life gets in the way. Yeah, and that's not his fault. That's yeah. something that just happens. You have children, you have families, you have responsibilities, and life just gets in the way. And we are so good at putting ourselves second and especially as a mother and I know lots of mothers out there who, who will say you know they will get what I'm saying you know they'll understand where I'm coming from you you learn to put yourself second always you never put yourself first you're always at the bottom of the pile and that's what I've done for years and I think um, by doing that it's been detrimental for me and my family so I think um, when I decided to do this documentary I said you know what you know what? I'm going to put myself first because by putting myself first I'm putting my family first and I think yeah, that's yeah. one of the big lessons of this, isn't yeah. it? Take care yeah, yeah. of yourself so you can take care of exactly. other people. Um, on that note, let's crack on with your advice, which is brilliant. The first one's very practical. Tell me what this is. Uh, drink lots of water, which is something <laughs> which is something my mum always would always say. And I'm going through Ramadan at the moment. Yeah. Uh, so, so, you know, you I'm really, really loving my mum's <laughs> advice right now, but I can't drink any water. But drink lots of water. My mum would say it all the time. She's like, drink water. It's good for you. I don't care if you don't eat. Drink water. Keep hydrated. Never listen to her. Never, ever <laughs> listen to her. Now I have become my own mother. I'm like, are you drinking enough water? Why have you got chappy lips? Go and drink some water. <laughs> I have to say you have the most gorgeous skin. Oh, so maybe you. that's down to the... I am fashioning you're a super great, hydrated. I'm fashioning a great big cold sore at the moment. Can't, uh, can't see it. Can you so, not? No, don't tell anyone else. Lots, <laughs> lots, of, lots of makeup. Um, yeah, I drink lots of water when I'm not fasting, of course. Yeah. And how is the fasting going? How do you cope with, with Ramadan and the hunger? And the hunger is not a problem. It's the water, actually. And yeah. it's the lack of... I think what lots of people don't realise is that you have to wake up to have your breakfast before the sun rises. Mm-hmm. So it's not so much the lack of eating. It's more the lack of, you know, the lack of time in which to drink enough water and also mm-hmm. the broken sleep. So it's 30 days of broken sleep, which is really difficult. So what I do is I try and pack in doing... Like, I'll do lots of things around Ramadan, but during Ramadan, I like to do lots of writing lots of creative work get my house back in order and life admin that's kind of what I spend those 30 days doing so in a way is it quite does it feel quite a special time for you it's great because it's working in this industry you know working with food there's moments where I think wow this is like gluttony at its best it's food on food on food it's too much sometimes so sometimes it's a really good opportunity to just step back and really appreciate the food that I put on my plate and and really appreciate what I eat and appreciate that glass of water because there can be moments in my kind of 
work day or when I'm out with the kids on the weekend, we're just eating and it's just kind of mindless. And so what happens in 30 days, in the in these last, in the next 30 days is you kind of really think about what you're going to eat. You yeah. think about what you put in your mouth and it's a great reset. You yeah. know, this is a really good reset. All I'm saying is day 31, I forget <laughs> the reset. I reset on day 32. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, now get back to it. Everything I've learned, I'm going to try and um, implement over the next year. But like, yeah. On, on Eid Day, when we're celebrating, there are no rules. Yeah. <laughs> there are no rules. Like Christmas. Yeah. yeah. So your second piece of advice, tell me about this. This is a piece of advice you got from a teacher. Yeah. Tell me what this is. Always be the one to end an argument, whether you're right or wrong. And I think that is, um, I never really understood that as a child. And I'm learning the older I get, like the things that the adults in my life said to me as a child now they've all kind of come to fruition I understand why they said all of that and I am obviously becoming my mum now and I'm becoming that older person and I'll say stuff to my kids and they'll look at me and say Ugh, whatever and they'll sort of roll their <laughs> eyes and think I don't know she doesn't know what she's talking about um, and I know they'll come to my age and they'll understand but this bit of advice it, it, it really I kind of really understood this advice when I got married because it's for me it's when you have, whenever we've had a discussion, my husband and I, thank goodness, we've been married 14 years, never had an argument. Um, wow, never that's had incredible. Argument, never had an argument. It'll be today, won't it? I'm saying it now, <laughs> it'll be today. Never had an argument. But w- the one thing that we kind of live by is, you know, somebody has to end the argument. Say sorry. Whether you're right or wrong, saying sorry just makes it easy. Yeah. Um, and that's what I've found you know, as I get older with my parents, with my brothers and sisters, we're older, but we're, you know, we grew up in one family, but we're all very different people. So, you know, arguments flare up sometimes, you know, sure. and, and but I find that whether I'm right or wrong, saying sorry always feels like the right thing to do and just saying, can we just move on from this? Yeah. And that's what I find with, as an adult now with all of the kind of disputes that I might have in my family or my friends or with like um with my family mainly and and you know with my husband or with the kids even with the kids just like can we just say sorry to each other and just move on yeah so that's quite nice do you never have that feeling though of like why should I say sorry when it was definitely the other person's you know no, fault no you know what I, there, was a, there was a point as a teenager where especially with my dad if he was wrong I was not saying sorry to him he was gonna grovel and he never did <laughs> yeah like still and eventually never. you just got tired so just, of waiting <laughs> yeah and I just oh, I like peace I don't like confrontation I quite enjoy just like I, I like an, for me not arguing and getting along with everyone is an easy life yeah like it's so all the effort you have to put into being angry with someone it just isn't worth worth it yeah. all that energy you could put into making a nice cake you know <laughs> that's you know? true that yeah. is good advice yeah um your third piece of advice is also kind of food related yeah never give anyone your last rollo you will regret it when you're older <laughs> <laughs> so who told you this my much older cousin at the time um he must have obviously given someone a rollo at some point <laughs> And and realise when he's older, it's like, because I think when you're a kid, it's really easy to give up your chocolate because you don't care. But when you're older, um, I think, because when I was younger, I didn't care about what I put in my mouth. I was eating whatever I wanted. But when you're older, you're kind of slightly more conscious of what you're eating, what you're putting in your mouth, if you're putting on weight and yeah. all of that. So he just, that I, I think it's great advice because <laughs> like when you're older, you regret it. You're like, why did I give away my Rolo for? <laughs> but you can buy some more Rolos. Well, then you can buy some more. So, I mean, there's a, there's a, it's win-win, really. Yeah. Yeah. I wondered if it also kind of plays into a little bit what we were talking about before about kind of looking after yourself so that you can look after other people or like 
keeping a little something for yourself and not giving everything away or am yeah. I am I reading too much into this oh I mean maybe a little bit maybe a little bit it's just a Rolo but sometimes if it's a Rolo and you want it you should keep it for yourself yeah you know we're so good at just like especially as a mum yeah. you know like we, I'm give so, the kids everything on your plate oh yeah, yeah. I, mean, I had dinner last night and my little boy was awake and I asked him I could hear him going to the bathroom and I said do you fancy are you awake and he said yeah yeah I'm awake I said do you want to come down I couldn't finish my dinner the truth is I could finish my dinner but as he was moving around I felt a little bit guilty because we were eating his favourite we were having chow mein that I'd made and some prawn toast that I'd made and it's one of his favourite things to eat and I physically couldn't get it down my mouth I couldn't eat it so I had him come down I was like oh I'm not hungry do you want to have this and he was like yes please and he goes are you sure and I was like yeah yeah yeah. I'm not hungry I'm paying the price now Oh, but I just couldn't eat it especially when and I knew he was moving around upstairs. So yeah. I'm yet to master the art of keeping something for myself. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I definitely think I follow you on Instagram, as I'm sure lots of people listening to this do. And you are nonstop caring for the family, cooking, working, doing something, looking after your husband. And uh, and I think that really shines through the documentary as well. You give a lot of yourself to yeah. other people, I think. That is, yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm really conscious of... Being in the public eye, you have to be conscious of how much of yourself, for me certainly, I have to worry, I worry about how much of myself I give, but it's about giving the right bits. Yeah, you know, it's and about, to the right people. And to the right people, and it's it's about giving the right bits of yourself, and I think it would be, for me personally, and lots of people might disagree, but for me it would be selfish to keep this to myself, because this bit of information, this making this documentary, giving this little bit of myself, is going to help so many people. I know it will. I know when I, when I first said I wanted to make this documentary I was so nervous and so anxious but I I had to constantly remind myself why I was doing this this is to help and I know it's because it's going to help so many people yeah. because I would have given an arm and a leg to find somebody anywhere out there who said I know exactly what you're going through yeah. and that's what this documentary is it's saying I know what you're going through and you're not alone yeah when did you finish filming it uh, just before Christmas okay so a few months ago yeah, yeah. so have you kind of carried on in your journey with it since then and so yeah I have been... I have a better understanding of my panic disorder of the PTSD so what what it's opened up for me is a is a new world and I'm, I'm learning more every day so I'm learning and I think a lot of your own your treatment is learning about yeah. what you've got and so you know there are, there's a wealth of things that you can go out there and do whether it's privately or through the NHS but there there is help out there it's just finding the right help for you um and I have to eventually I will go back to doing therapy and but what happens is life gets in the way and so did the filming did a little bit of therapy and then life got in the way and then Christmas happened and and then the new year and that was yeah. it and it's just like okay so I need to get back to this but I haven't had many panic I haven't had a solid, like, big panic attack since. Panic has come and anxiety has risen, but I've managed to ignore it and make it go away. That's fantastic. Without it becoming... Overwhelming. Without it becoming something massive. So yeah, um, I've definitely learned something from it. Yeah, that's wonderful. Your next piece of advice, tell me this one. This is one that my RE teacher gave me. And he said, and he said, pray because you want to, not just because God is telling you. And okay. I found that from an, from a, he was a Muslim uh, religious education teacher. And for somebody to say that, you know, I grew up reading books and I grew up being told uh, that you've got to pray because God said you got to pray because God said. And, you know, I was born in a, in a Muslim family, but I, I certainly didn't find my faith 
growing up in a Muslim family I found that by myself mm-hmm. and you know lots of people were you know played a part in that like my religious studies teacher my own curiosity you know took me to the library at the age of 14 where I was sitting reading books because I was just so curious and you know I wanted to know what it was that made me a Muslim mm-hmm. um, and so when he said well you know you shouldn't just pray because God said you should pray because you want to pray and to me that was a different that was that wasn't just rules and God and a book it was spirituality and that's yeah, the first your time own I re- relationship yeah with so God. that's the first time I experienced spirituality and understanding my relationship with God and how important that was and for me that always stuck with me um and I always say it to my kids I'd always say look yeah you pray because God asked you to pray but you've got to want to pray you've got to want to to have that line of communication open with God and and I think people are so afraid of speaking about their religion and speaking about their spirituality or their connection with God and why should we be afraid of that it's you know why should I be afraid of saying that I follow a God or I have a God or that I follow a religion I'm not afraid to say that yeah. and you know three years ago if you'd asked me I'd be slightly shy of talking about it but now I think it's really important um, what's changed then just not shy anymore I just don't like I don't care yeah as much anymore I just think it's important not to care about what everybody thinks sometimes it's it's we have to stop trying to become this default person or become what everybody else wants us to be you have to what's the I mean we're all the same if we don't have our own thoughts and our own thought processes so you know I'm I believe in God and, and that's okay but for me to for my teacher when he said it's not just about being told to believe in God it's about wanting to believe in God and just wanting to do it for yourself and that for me is probably the most one of the most important lessons that I learned from him is because actually I'm a Muslim because I want to be yeah that makes it so much more meaningful as well because I think so many kids you know have a religious aspect in their schooling or whatever in this country but a lot of the time it's like presented without any of that kind of you know spiritual element um so your fifth piece of advice tell me this one this is my dad and he's just an absolute legend he's insane but he's a legend he's great he doesn't say he says all sorts of rubbish and I don't listen to most of the stuff he says but when he does he has like gems you know like yeah. yeah like he doesn't say he says like it's utter rubbish mostly and then suddenly he'll say something and I'm like oh can we just stitch that on a pillow please you know like it's incredible he says never eat alone if you are then you're doing it all wrong oh basically what he meant by that because there are lots of people out there who do eat alone who perhaps don't have family or don't have friends but do have to eat on their own or maybe they moved away from home and they're living on their own whatever different circumstances mean that people will eat on their own but my dad had this thing so every weekend he would invite loads of people around like all of our relatives like 50 people in our house he'd dig a hole in the garden and we'd cook out of a big pot hole in the ground massive fire wow. we'd cook so we always had people around sometimes I'm like dad I kind of want to eat alone you know like just we don't <laughs> want to have 50 people over for dinner on a Saturday night um, but his what the reason why he said that was because it wasn't about the actual physical action of sitting and eating at a table it was about sharing it's about giving um especially at a time like this during ramadan i literally have fed my neighbors every single day and i did have to knock and say i'm sorry if i am if i'm being overbearing can you tell me because i don't (laughs) genuinely don't know when to stop and he's like no 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 our neighbor gavin he was like no absolutely you send it around i'm happy to have it oh um so you know i think it wasn't about the physical action of sitting at a table it's more about sharing and giving and checking on your neighbours. We used to have an elderly, really elderly neighbour who would 
he was alone and he would have sardine and red onion sandwiches. And my dad used to oh, say, come dear. on, let me send you over some food. And he'd send him over some food. And they would. it was an excuse for him, for our own neighbour to eat. We used to call him granddad. And he would eat his food, but dad would sit and have a chat with him. So it wasn't about... No. The eating alone, it's like it's about love, really. It's about isn't sharing it? that yeah. kind of and sharing that love and sharing the food, but also keeping the lines of communication open. Um, again, you know, like my neighbors, we I always say my neighbors are my family first, yeah, because they're the ones that live around me, they're the ones that live on my doorstep, they're the ones I'll look after first. And just this morning, as I walked out, uh, my neighbor knew that I was really anxious and she didn't manage to catch me, but she managed to catch the driver and said, Could you just tell her good luck for me? Oh, and isn't that what so it, sweet? Yeah. That for me, that had a tear in my eye this morning because surely that's what having people that you care about around you know that's what that's, that's what's what it's important. all about yeah. yeah yeah um do you think your your career in food really all stems from your family life absolutely yeah, yeah. I mean the love for food in our family is unreal it's it's I mean we need Ramadan just to like stop <laughs> just, just for stop. a few weeks like, yeah. just stop guys we can't do this all year round but we literally that's we just eat eat I mean, all the time. We had, I had them around about four weekends ago. They were at my house, my sisters. And that's all we did. We just ate. And it was just like, I had to roll them out of my house. Just like roll them into, stuff them into their cars. Um, but yeah, I think it starts from, you know, my dad was a restauranteur his whole life. You know, worked front of house. Uh, Mum is an amazing, amazing cook. I mean, I don't even know how she does it. She works a full-time job, comes home and cooks these incredible dishes. You know, my mum has less enthusiasm for food. She kind of cooks what we want to eat. And she's like, oh, she doesn't eat as much as we do. But she just cooks because she knows we love it. And that's why I cook sometimes. Because I know my kids love certain things and I will cook it for them. So yeah. I can see my, my myself in my mum. You know, I can see how yeah. I've suddenly become my mum all these years later. Um, and nurturer. Yeah, my dad, you know, worked in restaurants his whole life and he's very experimental. So, you know, from him, I've learned how to kind of push the boat out and maybe just try different things and not be afraid of of cooking different things yeah so yeah so your final piece of good advice is more of a sort of almost a mental health tip yeah tell me this one um so this is one that I say to myself quite often write down your thoughts at night good and bad and put them to bed only then can you sleep yourself okay um and do you actually make a habit of doing that I have a notepad and a pen by my side, bedside and bedside table along with my anti-wrinkle cream. So, <laughs> you know, because you've got to look after every... Inside and out, inside Body and out. Soul, yeah. Inside and out. Um, so anti-wrinkle cream and my notepad and my pen and then I write everything down. So down to like recipes that I think I want to do that next day or, you know, thoughts that I'm having or feelings or if I'm feeling slightly anxious, I'll quickly jot that down. Um, and I never keep these pages. I, I rip, the, you know, like eventually I'll go back and I'll get rid of them. Uh, but sometimes I look back and think, oh, I can't believe I was feeling like that. So it's kind of a really weirdly nice journal at the same time and sometimes I'll miss recipes and think oh I haven't done that I've got yeah. to do that so and I'll, I'll do that so um I genuinely do feel that when I write everything down that's the only time I can actually go to bed yeah with a clear head with a totally clear head um and then that's kind of my routine at night so yeah. anti-wrinkle cream write everything down put myself to bed put my thoughts to bed and then put myself to bed and never ever pick up my phone yeah. Oh, really? When do you put your phone down? Long before that. I really? don't even charge it near my bed anymore. That's just charge it. So smart. We all need to do that. Right away from my bed. Uh, just I don't look at it because I just don't need it. I yeah. just yeah. No. No. You're, no. No. You're so right. I need to take that piece of advice. So the the worst piece of advice you've ever heard. This was from a friend. 
Yeah. Tell me this one. So my friend said, uh, your parents are always wrong. Don't listen to them. <laughs> were they actually talking about your parents specifically or just parents in general? I think general? they were talking about parents in general. Yeah, there's yeah. definitely a time in life when you do feel like they yeah. are um, crazy. But I remember, you know, as a teenager, when somebody, when somebody says, don't listen to your parents, they're always wrong. And I remember the first time this friend had said this to me. And I kind of went home and everything my parents then said felt wrong. Oh, no. I was like, hmm. It's just like, it was that moment. I hadn't ever felt like they were always wrong. And it was only the moment when she said that everything they say is wrong. It felt really, everything they say. I was like, no, well, what you're saying is wrong. And I was sort of kind of like protesting. I was kind of found myself protesting with everything that they were saying. Yeah. And, you know, now as a 34 year old woman, I can safely say they were not always wrong. (laughs) They were not. And. There were times in my life where I did think, oh, I think I don't think you're right. And they weren't always right. Yeah. Um, but, you know, now, now that I'm much older, there's lots of things that they did say that I actually think, actually, I get why you said that. Or at least I understand. I have a better understanding of why they may have said, might have said certain things. Um, and also, you know, my older two are now kind of going into the teenage years and I've yeah. got my little girl. I always tell them that, you know, mommy doesn't get everything right. You realise that. And as much as I want to think that I get everything right, sometimes I'm like, I got that right. Um, yeah. I always tell them, mommy does not get everything right. And I admit that. Yeah. I always, because I'm not a perfect person and we have a rule in our house, you know, they get things wrong. This is the first time they're going to be children and it's the first time I'm ever going to be a mum. So I'm going to get things wrong. They're going to get things trying wrong. their best. Yeah. So yeah. let's get things wrong together and meet in the middle somewhere. And that's kind of the rule in our house. So we get things wrong together. So the thing I've learned from that is actually, you know what, parents can get stuff wrong. Just not everything. It's yeah. not everything. Yeah. And give them a break. And give them a break. Like I was so hard on my parents. Yeah. Oh, I, Me too. I, we all were, I think. So don't feel bad. I dread the teenage years. I dread the teenage <laughs> years because goodness knows what's going to happen when my kids go. They're already starting to rebel a little bit. Well, it's normal, isn't it? But I can't see that coming from you and from what I've seen of your husband, who seems just as lovely as you, I can't see that you're not going to have very sweet, lovely kids. Yeah, I mean, I think we should, I think the one thing we should do is uh, we should be able to openly say when we're proud of our children, because I think we're quite shy of saying, oh, no, 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 no. They're just like, we want to average our children out all the time. It's like, you know what, actually, they are good kids and I am really proud of them. And they're turning into pretty decent human beings. Yeah. Fingers crossed. As long as they don't break the law and do everything as they should. Yeah. uh, I think they'll be just fine and they're happy and they're smiling and they're doing, you know, whatever makes them happy. I think, you know, yeah, I'm really proud of my kids. Yeah, as you should be. Well, thank you so much for coming on and congratulations on the documentary. It's, I think it's really valuable and um, we can't wait to see what you do next. Thank you so much. Thanks so much to Nadia Hussein and you can watch Nadia, Anxiety and Me on BBC iPlayer now. I hope you're loving Grazia Life Advice. If so, please help us out by subscribing, rating it, reviewing it or sharing it. See you next week for more advice from women worth listening to.